The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, a very warm Monday warm morning, and I mean warm as well. We're not in the snows of Davos. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, you're watching Scorebox with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. Uh, and these are your headlines. So the uh, economic outlook has brightened somewhat with the IMF signaling it will upgrade its global growth forecast for the year. But Kristalina Gorgieva uh, tells Jeff on a CNBC World Economic Forum panel that rising rates could still pose a risk. Let me send the biggest caution I could today. Labor markets are holding firm so far, but interest rates are yet to bite. Expectations for a less aggressive Fed hit the greenback, whilst ECB's uh, Christine Lagarde tells CNBC there are more 50 basis point hikes ahead, sending the euro to a nine-month high. We have to also stay that course of resilience that we observed in 22. So stay the course is my mantra for monetary policy purposes. No question about that. The Nasdaq notches its third straight week of gains with tech majors in the crosshairs amid more job cuts and ahead of earnings this week. Top Chinese scientists say a COVID wave is unlikely as 80% of the population has been infected while the rural health system struggles during the Lunar New Year holiday. France, Emmanuel Macron and Olaf Scholz are vowing to strengthen the EU in the face of growing competition from the US and the geopolitical threat out of Moscow. The French president says nothing should be off the table in support of Ukraine. Leclerc, As for the Leclerc tanks, I asked the defence minister to work on it. Nothing is ruled out and this is indeed assessed collectively. Doing. We made it <laughs> I, th- I think from the jumble of words I said at the top of the show, I think I'm still in shock and still cold from Davos. Well, we came back, unpacked all the thermals, ready to put them away, and it's just as cold here. Minus seven driving right. in. Not quite as cold as the last day. I think we had true, a bit of a true. minus 15, Double 17. Digits, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, I thought it was a most fascinating Davos, I have to say. I, I don't think I've ever been to a Davos where... There was so much hope and yet so much uncertainty about what the rest of this year brings ahead. Yeah, it's complex, isn't it? Very cloudy when we talk about the economy. We know the first half is going to be incredibly difficult, but perhaps by the second half of this year, do we start to improve or do we go into another challenge with higher for longer interest rates? I think that's the big dangling theme for a lot of people. And of course, uh, this uh, subsidies fight with the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, Mm. whether the Europeans do come up with something soon. But again, that sounds incredibly challenging to get uh, opinion on the same page about how you would fight back in this context. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. And what you just said there, the first part of that actually typified for me the, the, the uncertainty. So I was talking to one senior policymaker at the tail end of last week and I said, yeah, yeah, you know, the half of the year is going to be tricky uh, and the other half is going to be a lot more clarity. 
Uh, and he completely misunderstood what I said, what, or he did, or he had a completely different opposite view from what I'd already been told by many people. So, i.e., some people think the first half of the year is going to be the tricky bit. Other people think the second half of the year, concerns about what happens on the energy complex going forward as well. So I think, you know, some people think, yeah, we're, we're going through the worst of it now, or actually this is the smooth sailing bit, and the second half gets back, and then vice versa as well. And that, for me, typified the lack of certainty across the board. It really sets the scene. For me, the other part was the under current around what you've been seeing with these trade spats everywhere and yeah. geopolitics. I mean, Russia, Ukraine to reshape the map for some people in terms of trading partners with Russia. That business has just simply gone away and they're trying to find new partners. And then you've realized as they've stepped back that China's had a very dominant role in some parts of the world and no one wants to replace one threat with another threat. And they're looking for very solid trading partners at this point. Yeah, and I think actually on a pure economic front, China is front and center once again as well. Um, the reopening Absolutely. and again, mm. Is the China reopening inflationary, possibly, or deflationary, possibly? So there are, you can make a very good argument for both sides of that equation as well. So again, massive uncertainty. Absolutely. The commodity side, I think, was one element where we do see that pick up in inflation. But as we talk about the economy, the outlook for the global economy has improved. But several key risks could still derail any recovery. That was a consensus from Jeff's final World Economic Forum panel in Davos. While the IMF has signalled that it could upgrade its forecast for global growth. Meanwhile, a consensus economic survey found analysts now expect the Eurozone will avoid recession this year, reflecting a sharp turnaround in sentiment. IMF President Kristalina Gorgieva has told Jeff that the global economy is not as bad off as previously feared, but she cautioned that less bad doesn't exactly mean things are going well. What has improved is the prospect for China to boost growth. Let's remember last year, 22, China registered for the first time in 40 years lower great growth rate than the global average. Never happened in four decades. Now, with the reopening of China, we expect growth this year to again exceed global average. We project 2.7% for the world. This may be corrected somewhat in a couple of days. For China, we project 4.4%. Mm. And what also what has uh, changed uh, in the uh, positive is that we have seen demonstrably strength of labor markets translating into consumers spending and keeping the economy up. Why we should be cautious? Well, first, uh, 2.7, if this is the growth we achieve, by far is not fabulous. This is the third lowest growth rate uh, in the last uh, uh, decades uh, after the uh, global financial crisis and COVID. It's not great. Second, we don't know quite yet how inflation would march downwards. What if the good news of China growing faster translates into oil and gas prices jumping up, putting pressure on inflation. ECB President Christine Lagarde said policymakers should help well, keep going with their approach to cut inflationary pressures this year. She also said that China's reopening could present challenges for the rest of the world. We are now heading to a year where hopefully the corporates, the consumers, the state 
policymakers will continue to have that resilient, determined approach in order to engineer the transitions that must take place, whether it's digital, whether it is green, whether it is inclusive, in order to make sure that the most fragile countries in the world benefit from those innovations, as Larry referred to. But we have to also stay that course of resilience that we observed in 22. So stay the course is my mantra for monetary policy purposes, no question about that. But I think other players must also do the same thing. And they must do it in probably a more subtle way than they had in 22. The fiscal support that was expanded in 22, for instance, must be better directed, better targeted, must be made such that it is not going to push the monetary policy actors to having to do a bit more, as Kristalina uh, earlier on uh, alluded to. So, in all that, China is waking up again. After, you know, assessed to be 3.3 percentage growth, it is now forecasting 5.5 percent growth, and we should welcome the auspices of those commitments. And it is a case that the COVID policy is, or the change of this COVID policy will kill a lot of people, but will also revive the economy. And that's clearly a determined choice that was made by the Chinese authorities. I may be mistaken. I think that was uh, her answer, part of her answer to Jeff's first question, where Jeff also dangled the, the carrot of potentially euro going up to 120 and what that would do for policymakers, resolve an attitude towards rise, r- rising rates. But look, we're looking at 109 on the euro dollar now, um, really rallying quite hard as well. Uh, and, and I think Madame Lagarde made the actually spot on point. Look, we just don't know. But we think that the reopening of China could be a very, very big catalyst for the world economy as well. So I thought that was very interesting that when she was asked about European monetary policy, one of the first things that Madame Lagarde mentioned was uh, China. You think about all the corporates that have uh, operations in China and they really do feed into that factory of the factory to the world. And don't forget, if you think about the earnings we've had, they've been okay from some of the corporates. If you look at the stock market action in Europe, it has been stunning. I mean, last week was an exception. We didn't go anywhere much, but we've rallied very hard on these stock indices. And if the earnings start to deliver, and if we get better news coming out of China through those earnings, then that's another positive catalyst. And again, just a a little word on the uncertainty. And we'll come to uh, the BOJ in a moment, because there was some amazing corroders sound as well. Does China reopening mean inflation or deflation? So reopening means less supply bottlenecks, uh, more uh, product can get to market, hence potentially deflationary. Or China reopening means more of a pull on raw materials globally, uh, more of a pull from the, the oil complex and what have you, well, uh, absorbing way, more resources, so hence it creates inflation. And I guess it can be both at the same time, but it's just a question of uh, which one is the predominant factor. Well, for Christine Lagarde, I think it is that uh, latter one, because she did pull out the commodity story and was concerned about some of the inflation, some of that stronger number coming through again. So I think that is one of the challenges. Don't forget this is an ECB that some think have not tightened as much as other central banks, and perhaps this year still sets the scene for higher monetary policy if we've got that push coming through on raw materials. Yeah. Um, and also, I thought Corroda uh, Sun's comments in Jess Panel were fascinating, uh, especially given that we know now that the minutes from the last month's uh, BOJ meeting show a rare occurrence, a half-hour adjournment 
Now, to allow officials to contact their ministries over the surprise yield curve control policy tweak, the central bank doubled the 10-year yield trading band to plus or minus 0.5%. But Governor Haruhiko Kuroda approved the move in one of his final decisions before stepping down later this spring. Uh, Japan's Prime Minister said Sunday that he will nominate a new governor next month. Well, Jeff asked uh, Kuroda-san whether it had been a mistake for the central bank to widen the trading band. I don't think uh, the decision uh, taken by the board uh, last uh, month uh, was not uh, wrong, uh, perfectly right, and uh, we will continue the current uh, extremely uh, accommodative expansionary monetary policy in order to achieve 2% inflation target in a sustainable and stable manner. So the fly on the wall report card effectively about this adjournment, uh, 30 minutes for everybody to go and ring the various ministries and say, look, there's going to be a change when it comes to this monetary policy. Apparently very unusual the last time round that you saw this type of adjournment over the BOJ was when uh, we saw negative interest rates enacted uh, back 2016 was the last time. So that introduction of quite a dramatic change in monetary policy was enough to provoke uh, an adjournment and all those various phone calls to go out too. So this change in in the band on the yield curve control policy enough for everybody to go let's just take a breath let's make so, some so phone there calls. There is something in that sentence go back to their various ministries which I don't understand these are central bankers they don't have ministries and you it was have, in the read but but the yeah. truth of the matter is one thing I do understand that it just uh, puts paid to the lie that actually central banks are independent uh, because if you have a central bank policy that can only be enacted or once you've had the ministries updated on this as well. It does prove that, yeah, this is very much in cohorts with the government and hence the fiscal side of things as well. I think it's more transparent than that in Japan. You actually have government representatives on the board. Right. So they are sitting there effectively to have some sort of commentary, but not necessarily a vote. So, for instance, a representative for the cabinet office, uh, they also were pushing back at the BOJ to be vigilant around supply chains, around inflation. Mm. Some of the other concerns are seen across global uh, markets, market volatility. So they sit there, but they don't necessarily necessarily cast a vote, I believe, when it comes to the decision-making. I mean, I'm, I'm completely ignorant of whether the FOMC and the MPC actually have government officials sitting in, listening in, but I, I would be very surprised if they do. Here we go. Ministry of Finance and also from the Cabinet Office. So two representatives legally entitled to attend the BOJ meetings voice what they think of the government views wow. on policy decisions, though they cannot cast votes. Interesting. Mm. Um, a, a watching eye. Um, two other commentators on Jess panel. One was Larry Summers um, and the other was Bruno Le Maire. I thought they both had really interesting interventions. Uh, Mr Summers was saying, look, we've just got to, got to keep our foot on the pedal on the... Uh, on the rate hikes uh, because you don't have to fight this battle twice and of course that's a reference to the fact that between 1974 and 1982 that inflation was seen to be beaten but actually wasn't and lasted a lot longer from various factors and the, and then Le Maire again um, just keeping that pitch going and it's something perhaps we'll bring up with Charlotte because I know she's in the house as well uh, about the innovation drive and the leadership that is wanted from Europe and I'm afraid to say what the politicians had to say on that front did not tally with what I heard from leading businessmen and women uh, on our set 
who said Europe is still struggling to move anywhere near as adroitly as indeed the US, Asia and other jurisdictions. Well, Larry Summers was making a distinction between a trade fight and a subsidies fight. I think that was interesting, that all of this innovation being thrown in one direction around the IRA is a great thing. And I heard that from some other Americans that I interviewed too, CEOs that are in the hydrogen space, that, look, this is a good thing. You're going to see a ton of innovation here. This is the fight to be having, given we've got such a huge gap when it comes to the amount of money that is at our disposal for transition. But I think when it comes to uh, some of the other points that have been made around the economy, the one that still jumps out to me, and I'll repeat it for those who didn't hear it the other day when I was in the green room, the speaker's room, with Brian Moynihan from the Bank of America. Yeah. He was saying that the point everyone was still missing is that rates will be higher for longer. It doesn't matter about the terminal rate. Uh, it doesn't matter where we get to. But the point is that we don't get to this high point pivot and then come back down again. So yeah. that is the pressure that economies will face likely this year in 2023 and into next year. Yeah, and that's what um, the markets are still trying to push the Fed to do by the end or give signals about by the end of uh, this pause, current pivot, year. These P words that the market has been hanging its hat on. Yeah. Um, Karen, they're alluding to America's Inflation Reduction Act, which has proved, uh, dare I say, a contentious topic in Davos, triggering talk of a trade war in some quarters, whilst also spurring talk of a rival European initiative. Bring it on, I say. The latter, that is, not the trade war. Uh, business leaders backed Biden's initiative as companies look to capitalise on his energy subsidies. Uh, Jeff asked, uh, okay, just referring to what we said there, just uh, asked the French finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, how Europe should respond. We need to have a global approach. That's a good thing that the United States of President Biden have decided to invest in the green industry and have decided to accelerate the fight against climate change. And Europe must do the same thing. But if we want to compete, we need to have a very strong, effective, efficient, swift European industrial policy. Um, that is exactly the point, isn't it? France is talking a very good book at the moment. And look, I have a lot of respect for what Le Maire and Macron are saying they're going to do. But all I can say is the evidence from people I've spoken to at the top of Europe's largest companies. One of them, I said to that individual off camera, and I won't name the gentleman, but he's a huge player in a huge European company that you kind of company you want to be staying in Europe, with putting capital in Europe as well. I said, well, what about France? They're promising a lot on innovation. And he said, and I quote, don't even get me started about France. It's a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, we uh, and, and I don't say that glibly. I don't right? say that with joy. I would love that the, the rhetoric from European politicians is backed up by substance in terms of permitting, in terms of regulation, bonfires, in terms of actually Europe, making Europe a capital for innovation, for transition, for digitization, for pharma-logical uh, and pharmaceutical innovation. And I'm afraid... One of the gentlemen who does fit into one of those or two of those brackets just said it's not happening. But that's the underlying tension, isn't it? You've got the finance minister there wanting to get something going when it comes to a response to the IRA. And if you think about practically what they're dealing with at home, they want to change the pension age so there isn't this huge cost for the state and all their focus now going into fighting pension reform instead of the really big story which is coming up with this transition, this response to take on the Americans, at least be in the game. Yeah, just before we go on to Larry Summers' tape, I just want to apologise to some of our viewers. I've had a correspondent just write in to me who said we were off air for a few moments earlier. We have got a... A problem not in this geographical jurisdiction, which we believe has been sorted now. We are 
hoping has been sorted out. Um, so just so you know, that apologies if we were off air for you for a couple of moments there. You didn't miss anything. It was just we, me we kept spouting going. On. We, we, yeah, kept we carried on. Just, <laughs> we had a great show. Just carried it. It was really good. Yeah, yeah. they missed that really exciting bit that I we know. mentioned. Yeah, and that contra controversy about Jeff in Davos. Know, that Did they not hear that bit? Oh, they didn't hear that no. bit about Jeff's big... Oh, sorry. Can't do it again. Uh, Larry Summers gave his view on whether a trade war could result from America's Inflation Reduction Act. Respectfully, I would distinguish between a subsidy war and a trade war. A subsidy war about very good things is basically a good thing. Walling off each other's innovation is basically a much more problematic uh, thing. And so, yes, I would like to see, keep markets open. Um, and I think that is hugely important. I think in its totality, the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States is a historically positive uh, measure. If we are all competing over who can accelerate a transition towards renewables more rapidly, who can be the biggest leader in storage and transmission uh, technologies, that is a very healthy kinds of competition. Yeah, and you wouldn't believe the gossip when they left that apartment afterwards. Really? Yeah, yeah, that really yeah. happened. Oh, no, we, we're, we're on now? Oh, oh, yeah, no, okay, we're no, back, sorry, we're right, back okay. here. Um, coming up on the show, Microsoft and Tesla are among a slew of companies reporting this week as news of more layoffs hit the tech sector. We'll be right back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Right, China is uh, downplaying the risk of another COVID surge, even as reports spread of medicine shortages in rural areas. A prominent government scientist says 80% of people have been infected, meaning a second wave is unlikely in the near term. Meanwhile, antigen testing kit shortages and lack of access to lung imaging equipment is reported to be hindering containment in remote areas. The news comes as hundreds of millions of Chinese travel to celebrate the Lunar New Year. And, and Happy New Year to all our friends who celebrate uh, the Chinese New Year. I, I think it's the year of the rabbit or it is, is it the hare? It is the year of the rabbit. Looks like a good one. Yeah, well, I don't know much about it. You know, maybe know quite a lot more about these things than I do. But uh, I know that my watch yesterday morning came up with a picture of the rabbit on it. So. Yes, exactly. We've transitioned from the tiger to the rabbit. So and does it all grow anything particular? Do we know? I think it's meant to be a good year. Okay, good. I mean, if you think about rabbits and springtime and... Oh, what, know, what, and procreation, you mean? Yes, oh, oh. Or, or fruit. Well, no, aren't fruit hares? And isn't that... I don't know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but long before then, I'll get myself into deep water here, but long before the Christian church um, had resonance around Easter... My understanding is a lot of um, other religions, maybe perhaps Celtic religion, where you celebrated the hare and Easter bunny as a symbol of 
fertility, maybe, right, or right. the new. I don't know. Right. Again. Well, this particular one is the water rabbit. Oh, well, the water rabbit. <clears throat> know, well, yeah. Anyway, look, it sounds good. I'm good. I'm very, I'm very pleased. Yeah, not, theology is not my biggest thing, I've got to be honest about it. Longevity, uh, peace, prosperity is one of the um, yeah. hallmarks of the sign of the rabbit. Right, okay. So it's well, a year of hope, which is great after what we've just wrapped up Davos on. This sort of optimism that comes with a, a caveat really of uh, potential downturn. Well, I'll go back to where challenge. I came in. I wish everyone a year of longevity, peace, hope and... And prosperity. Prosperity, yeah. Always prosperity, especially for our viewers who uh, watch us to try and improve their prosperity. Uh, the Federal Reserve is expected to slow the rate of interest rate hikes again at its next meeting, but also show that it is not ready for a full pause. As inflation eases, several policymakers have indicated they would be in favour of increasing rates uh, by only 25 basis points at the end of the month. Uh, this would mark a return to a more business-as-usual approach after the Fed raised the target policy rate by uh, uh, 4.25 percentage points last year, the fastest tightening in monetary policy in four decades. Uh, the Fed Governor Christopher Waller told Steve Leesman on Friday that the rate hike process would need to continue. The market has a very optimistic view that inflation is just going to melt away. We have a different view. Inflation is not going to just miraculously melt away. It's going to be a slower, harder slog to get inflation down, and therefore we have to keep rates higher for longer and not start cutting rates by the end of the year. A market stateside breaking a three-day losing streak in the Friday trade. Uh, very strong ranges across the board, particularly on the tech sector. The Nasdaq 2.6% in the green. Big moving stocks, the likes of Microsoft for all three major indices. Don't forget we're leading up to Microsoft earnings this week. So very much uh, again as we saw risk back on these markets. But if you look at the course of the week, it was a negative trade for a lot of these markets. Down 2.7% for the likes of the Dow that was a reversal. Slightly less coming off the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq actually finished modestly high for the week. Again, telling you that uh, some investors got back in some of those beaten up tech trades. It was a supportive factor for the market. If you look at some of the big fang stocks rallying to the tune of about one and a quarter percent for the trading week, but about three and a half percent over the course of that Friday session. In terms of treasuries, this is how we approached. We just had that huge monetary policy panel that Jeff moderated. And you can see as we take a look at the bond markets at this point, we are traveling close to the three and a half percent level on the 10-year, still more elevated the short uh, end of the curve, 4.17%. Uh, we quick look at the dollar. We had a fairly dovish corona sun, and that uh, has been instrumental for trades around dollar-yen. 1.30, the level we're looking at this morning, dollar has bounced. But you can see another key trade, sterling and euro, are somewhat supported this morning. We're just off the 109 handle on euro-dollar, and we've got uh, sterling travelling 124-plus in trade. To the Asian markets, a lot of the markets out of action for Chinese New Year, so the celebrations continue. Out of those that are trading, we are seeing a bit of green across the board, so a little bit of liquidity back in the system for the Japanese stock market. Looking at the Wall Street trade, 1.3% higher. Don't forget it is earnings season that is unfolding Japan this week too. So these markets to watch from the, the Japanese market, Nikkei 225, to the topics index as well. Across to India, we're traveling higher in Australia, just somewhat muted in trade today. The only calls 
Early picture looks like this. We are indicated higher. It suggests we are seeing a bounce across the board this morning on the back of what was a slightly mixed trading session in that Friday trade versus what you had for the rest of the week. We we're down for the week, modestly higher on the stock strip 600 for the Friday trade, up about a third of a percent. But uh, the step back we saw in contrast to what has been a better performing European market. Well, speaking of earnings, Google parent company Alphabet is the latest tech giant to announce job cuts saying it will lay off 12,000 employees. That's about 6% of staff. Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai has told employees he took full responsibility for the decision, saying the company had increased staffing levels rapidly for, quote, a different economic reality than the one we face today. Alphabet shares rose over 5% in Friday's trade. Microsoft will kick off a bumper trading week of corporate numbers this week. Earnings, economic data are all out uh, when it reports tomorrow alongside PMI data from Europe's largest economies and the United States. Now, on Wednesday, Tesla will release results amid continuing concerns over demand levels, while we'll have PPI data from Spain and the UK and the latest IFA report for Germany. US GDP is out Thursday alongside consumer spending data and a raft of earnings, including from Intel, while Spain will round off the week with flash GDP on Friday. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.